0: welcome back everyone to the third episode of the take the points podcast i'm your co-host tate seth joined by arjun menon after saying we weren't gonna do another one hour 45 minute episode like the first episode we actually did uphold that promise by making a one hour 52 minute episode last week but you know regardless of that i'm really excited for this episode today you know as we are going to break down some common patterns and traits that we found amongst conference championship participants since 2018. Arjun, how's it going?
1: Doing. I'm doing very well. Um, you know, last week's episode with the Jordan, Audrey, Cody, Alexander, and Keegan Abdu was a lot of fun to record. So make sure to go give that uh, some love. You know, at least listen to the interviews if you don't want to hear us two talk for for hours. Um, but I'm excited for this episode as well. You know, this is something you and I have had countless discussions about whether it's like walking back from the gym at Michigan, just texting about or like making it a topic at club meetings. So I'm really excited to be talking about this idea with you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. That's so true. Like we've, we've thought about this a lot and, you know, I think it's, I think it's good that we're using conference championship participants instead of like Super Bowl winners, because, you know, when you, when a lot of analysis gets thrown around about Super Bowl winners and like, kind of like their team building strategy, but, you know, we've, we've talked about this a lot. Like the best team doesn't often win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, th- that, that like makes it a really small sample size to base like team building principles off of. So we're gonna, we get four teams a year to kind of look at and analyze. And as we're gonna pick some like lessons that we've learned from looking at the way that these teams have built from, you know, a lot of them were, were bad at, at some points and, and are have been in the conference championships, you know at least once or, or maybe frequently in like the Chiefs case. So I think, I think it'll be a lot of fun to, uh, to talk about this. Like, so what was, what was kind of like the first lesson that you had um, when, when you were kind of looking through this?
1: So the first lesson I had, and honestly, I, I like 2021 as the best example of this, It's the idea that there's no right or wrong way to build a team to win the Super Bowl. You look at the four conference championship teams in 2021, all four of them were built in a different way. I don't want to go through make it too long but I'm going to just quickly explain what I thought about or how each conference championship team in 2021 built their team the Bengals Bengals did it pretty much the picture perfect way they drafted a good quarterback who's now on his rookie deal they surrounded him with with talent at receiver and then their um, idea of roster building came in the fact that they like to spread money around they don't overly invest in one player, right? Like they don't, I believe they don't have a player who's being paid more than like $16 million a year, which is uh, Trey Hendrickson's contract. They invested a lot of money into different people in that secondary, right? Von Bell, they gave, you know, they signed him in free agency two years ago. Mike Hilton, Shadobia Wuzie, Trey Waynes, even though he didn't play, they had a method of spreading money around instead of solely investing on, you know, the top four or five guys, the chiefs. The Chiefs. This was last. This was the last year of Mahomes' rookie deal, right? Unfortunately, with four years of his rookie elite play on his rookie deal, they only, you know, I only say they only won one championship, just because that seems like a letdown. But you know, they probably should have made it. Should have made it to the Super Bowl this year if Mahomes and the enemy and Reed didn't um, do whatever they did. But the Chiefs' roster building strategy was: you have Mahomes on a rookie deal, and we're going to surround him with top-end talent, and we're going to give this top-end talent a large percentage of the cap. Tyreek and Kelsey are getting paid big money, Frank Clark getting paid big money, Chris Jones, right? So that's how the Chiefs built their roster. And then you look to the NFC, the, the Rams, you know, the, the most unique roster building situation in the NFL. We're going to trade for a bunch of top end talent because we know the type of production we can get out of them. And we're going to surround them with rounds round, or day three players and undrafted players who our scouting department does a great job of finding every year in the draft. And then the Niners... Is an interesting one right because like it's it's it was a weird case with jimmy g and then they also traded up for Trey Lance but the, the Niners um kind of similar to the Chiefs in that they pay some of their top end talent a lot of money but I think the the Niners are uh kind of like a function of scheme on offense and then they have some really good players on defense that perform when the lights shine bright it's like Fred Warner Nick Bosa Nick Bosa with like two sacks in the conference championship game. So a lot of different team building strategies for teams in the conference championships and you can really win with any type of quarterback whether they're on a rookie deal or not
0: mm-hmm. yeah no that's that's great and i think that's really important because there's teams that sometimes think that there's like a magic bullet or like one thing that you can specifically do to build like a, a really good roster and you know if you if you look around the league like the best teams in the league right now are are built in in just so many different ways and it's been really cool to see like you know the the packers who have been consistently really good just they have a very conservative approach right like everything they do they never go all in uh they they you know they they don't like push money back like they're they're always building kind of for the future as long as the, as well as the present but like the rams are the exact opposite right like they they just want to push everything they can into into the middle now and and you know we can we can kind of see that collide and yeah i think i think that's that's really important to um You know, to for teams not to realize or not to always be chasing one strategy, and like kind of like what is so impressive about the Bengals is they let everything come to them. Uh, You know, they they let the draft come to them last year. Like I'm sure they they really wanted to pair up Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, but they didn't get antsy and like try to trade up or you know give up extra resources to get Chase. They let Chase come to him. They let T Higgins come to them. You know, and uh, the year before that when they picked at the beginning of the second round and then they like just took as many shots on defense as they can to, to make sure they didn't, they didn't have a weak link there in, in free agency.
1: Yeah. What was that? Was that your first lesson also just like this same idea?
0: No, I actually, my first lesson was um, to prioritize offense before defense. And then inside of that, the pass game before the run game on both sides of the ball. And I know this is, this is like a little bit obvious, but when I was like really looking at the numbers, like, it like it really showed like how important it was to go offense first, defense second, and then pass game first, run game second. So if you look at the average rank of conference championships participants since 2018 in EPA per play in these categories, this is how it, it gets laid out. So pass offense is 4.5, rush offense is 9.7, pass defense 12.4, and rush defense 14.8. So, you know, the, the teams that have that have been in the conference championships their their pass offense has been the best part of their team rush offense has been second best usually and then pass defense rush defense and you know like three of the past four years the team to rank number one in offensive epa per pass has made the conference championship with the 2019 ravens being the only exception and only one team outside of the top 10 in passing offense has made the conference championship which was the 2019 packers so, you know, it's just consistently every single year, like even in 2021, Chiefs had the best pass offense in the league. Rams were fifth best. 49ers were eighth best and Bengals were ninth best. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? Uh, kind of like that lesson there.
1: Yeah, I love that. And honestly, it, it kind of ties into my second lesson. And I, I think it's such a good point. Cause like in, in the playoffs, like your weaknesses get amplified and so you have to make sure your strengths are, stronger than the other team and like especially with how efficient passing is over running you want to make sure that you can pass the ball in the playoffs and you can you can uh generate stable drives successful drives uh drive in and drive out so that kind of leads into my second lesson which is um i think not having secondary receivers um gets amplified in the playoffs as well i think this is something we saw with the chiefs this year this is something we saw with them kind of last year. This is something we, we've seen with the Packers every single year, which is when they make the playoffs, they don't have anyone outside of Devontae, or they didn't have anyone outside of Devontae to get open and give Aaron Rodgers a reliable uh, receiver to target, which is why, like, against the Rams um, in 2020, when they play like the Brandon Staley Rams or Brandon Staley-led defense for the Rams, they had to switch to more two running back sets because Aaron Jones is probably like the second most reliable receiver after Devontae Adams. So instead of trying to rely on these receivers to break the coverage of guys like Darius Williams and Troy Hill, who had career seasons in 2020, they relied on some of their running backs to get open versus, you know, pretty bad linebackers on the Rams. So I think, you know, this is not just a Packers thing, right? Like this goes back to um, teams that just don't have secondary receivers. And if you're relying on one receiver to get open in the playoffs, you know, a a defensive coordinator is going to scheme to stop that one good receiver. And I think this is something that the Niners kind of realized in 2019 when they made the Super Bowl, which is why they traded for an Emmanuel Sanders, because if you remember their receiving core is pretty much Debo Samuel and then George Kittle, and then we're just going to run the ball down your throat. So then they get a smart, you know, savvy veteran receiver like Emmanuel Sanders, and then he kind of takes – I wouldn't say he was, like, too impactful, but, you know, having that type of receiver – in a playoff, a Super Bowl run, definitely helps you more than just relying on one receiver to get the job done.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I love this one. And I think that's, that's really great that you mentioned that, you know, when, when you're preparing for a playoff game, we see that defensive game plans become more unique in the playoffs. Like when you use a clustering algorithm Mm -hmm. to look at defensive game plans and you, you kind of look at it, but through the, throughout the NFL season, they're, they're, they're pretty stable throughout the regular season. And then they become more unique as, as you get into the playoffs. And that's because defensive game plans are going to be more specific for the team you're facing against. And yeah, like the 49ers Packers game this year was a great example of that, you know, with Rogers, just not being able to trust secondary receivers, Adams getting doubled a lot and all that stuff. And then like, you know, since 2018 in the, in the scope that we looked at here is like, the saints have been probably like the biggest playoff disappointment, like annually uh, each year you know as, as they were trying to win at the end of Breeze's uh, career and like you know they they didn't have secondary receiving options on those teams right like it was it was really just just Michael Thomas and um you know I guess Kamara if you want to consider that but like it was it was a lot tougher for them in the playoffs to to really succeed there Um, you know Titans have, have kind of been the same way where like you know I I understand that Corey Davis played best his, his last season in Tennessee but like AJ Brown was the true wide receiver one there and then they they had trouble with secondary receiving options too. And that's that's why they they haven't done that well in the playoffs, despite being better in the regular season, also. So that's that's a really good um kind of way to to look at, you know, when once you get into the playoffs, you really need those those people to step up on the supporting cast to uh to take you to the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah. So why don't why don't you share your second lesson? I'll do my third and then we can wrap up this discussion and head over to our interviews. Mm-hmm
0: yeah so mine was my second lesson was you really have to become bad before you become you can become really good and like you know i I always think like the the Vikings are like the anti example of this, right like they're perfectly content with winning between seven and nine games every year, and they never really want to ever blow it up. you know they're always just kind of finding either a bridge quarterback or an average quarterback and having an average roster and all that type of stuff but you know, if you, if you kind of go through the list of teams that, that have made these, these conference championship games, like the chiefs have made four straight under Mahomes, and they had the number one overall pick in, in 2012, which was a while ago, but that was kind of the start for when they, when they became good again, is like you had the number one pick because you won two games, you know, that year and you take Eric Fisher, who was a good player, maybe not like a, like a pro bowler or, or like an all pro, but he was a good player, but it was just the concept of being that situation where, you have a high draft pick, high, high capital to work with. And you, you kind of go from there with, with a new coach, right? The yeah. Rams were, were really bad with Jeff Fisher, um, you know, traded up, got Jared Goff. um, You know, we're, we're, uh, were bad. Jared Goff's rookie year again. And then Jeff Fisher left and McVeigh has, has brought them, you know, to, to levels that they, they didn't reach before 49ers have had that, you know, they've made two conference championship games. Uh, They've, they've kind of flip-flopped between being bad and good, like every other year because of injuries and stuff, but they took Bosa number three overall. And then his rookie season, they made the Super Bowl, and he was an instrumental part in, in having that Titans and Buccaneers in 2015 had the number one or the number two, number one overall picks respectively. And then they've both made conference championships games. Um, and then, you know, you, you, I want you to speak more on this because you understand it more than I do. Like the bills, when Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott took over, they were in a really bad spot and did a really good job of of navigating out of that.
1: Yeah. So before I go into my third lesson, I'll talk about that. Basically the most impressive thing about that partnership is when they took over the team, they were, the bills were in such a shit cap situation. Like they had so many veteran con like bloated veteran contracts, contracts with a lot of dead money. They cut you know a decent amount of players of these of these contract type caliber players, and they still made the playoffs in their first year. They went like nine and seven with Terod Taylor, and you know squeaked by somehow. And you know that was the year that my Chargers, the best zero and four team in NFL history, should have made the the playoffs, and that they would have been more um, competitive against the Jags. But you know it's all good. And the you know the Bills, like you said, they. Went for a pretty bad cap situation. They followed followed up a nine and seven year with like a six and ten year, I think in 2018. Get Josh Allen, Josh Allen, and then boom. Or I mean, no, they went they went nine and seven, then they drafted Josh Allen, went six and ten his first year or something, and then they got better from there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. You know, Brandon Bean and and uh the the Bills in general are, are a good example of that. And so my third lesson is. You may be the better team in the conference championship. You may be the better team in the playoffs, as sh- as shown throughout your play throughout the regular season. But sometimes the more healthy team wins, mm-hmm. and I think some of, some of the games that we've seen in the conference championship highlight this. The Packers in 2020, uh, in twenty twenty Aaron Rodgers' first MVP season. You know this of the two he's won in the past two years. The Packers are probably the best team in the NFL. And all it took was for them to lose David Bakhtiari to an ACL injury in practice at the end of the regular season to where their um, pass-blocking woes against a very, very elite Bucks defensive front, you know, showed. And, you know, they were forced to kind of play some guys out of position. I think they were playing former uh, Lions legend Rick Wagner at left tackle or right tackle. And, you know, he kind of got his ass beat by Shaquille Baird and Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, in, in the Super Bowl, we look at, how the chiefs offensive line just got manhandled by the bucks again right so sometimes it really just isn't who's the better team or who has the better top end players it's like who's the healthiest and who's coming into the playoffs the less banged up or the least banged up who's who has the more healthy star players or even depth players because like i said the weak link systems like secondary and um offensive line those weak links get highlighted more in the playoffs because defenses know how to scheme towards that specific player or specific players in those units
0: mm-hmm. yeah great one that's that's uh that's really good to to think about i i wish i had one of that as, as my lessons and yeah like this year like even like so like the importance of the one seed now with the 17 playoff is huge because like the buccaneers were a really good team last year And they had to play the Eagles because they got the two seed and they lost Tristan Worf in that game. And the bucks are, were probably a better team than the Rams last year. Like, like I, like I thought so. And like, you know, the, the betting markets thought so, and losing Tristan warfs, you know, Brady's big weakness is when is when he gets pressured quickly and he's not able to get the ball out in time. And like, that's what the Rams were able to do in that game. And like, they shut down the bucks offense for most of that game. And then the next week, like the 49ers had already beaten the Rams, twice in the regular season. And uh, Debo was playing banged up. Uh, Jimmy G was playing banged up. The Rams barely squeaked out that game and, and made it to, to the super bowl because of that. And yeah, it's like, you know, a lot of it is just, is just staying healthy and, and making sure you have the depth. Like I think, yeah, I think, I think like what you mentioned, like with offensive line, like it's really important to have a swing tackle, or an, a guy who can play, you know, different positions on the offensive line at just an average level, or even slightly below average. They just can't be bad because when you lose one of those players, the, the defense can really just key in and attack the backup. And if they can kind of hold their own, then, then you should be fine. But yeah, like it's so much of this is just health related. And like, that's what I mentioned with the 49ers earlier, where they've either the, the these, these past four years, They've either been the most injured team in the league or they've made the conference championship. Like yeah. that's the only two outcomes that's that's happened for them, right? So, you know, if, if if everyone was healthy for all four years for the 49ers, like they they might have a Super Bowl ring right now. So um, you know, it's it's just kind of stuff like that 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 really makes health so important. Yeah,
1: that, that's a great point. So, so Tage, what was your final lesson that you had from conference championship teams of the past four years?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my final lesson was become more unique as the season goes on. And like, I'll, I'll list a couple examples of this kind of touched on this earlier in the episode, but Bill Belichick will make his coverage coverage schemes more unique as the season goes on, especially into the playoffs. Uh, He plays man coverage at a 55% rate in the regular season, but turns it up to 64% in the playoffs. And, you know, that recipe has worked out really well for him these past 20 years um, um, throughout the Patriots dynasty. Um, you know, in twenty twenty, the the Buccaneers offense was struggling a little bit uh, at the beginning of the season, uh, went into the bye week, added Antonio Brown, added in more play action, and he really opened up that entire offense uh, was a was a big reason for why they were able to do a lot more route combinations. Huge reason for why they were able to win the Super Bowl that year. Um, most recently, McVeigh was kind of running the same offense all throughout twenty eighteen. And, you know, it started to get exposed a little bit as the season went on, but really got exposed in the Super Bowl against Belichick. And so he learned from that lesson. And when the Rams had their offensive slump this year, he changed up a lot of things. He went back to more play action. Um, you know, you the the Cardinals Monday night game like the the big touchdown of that night to Van Jefferson was off play action and really opened up the Rams offense and was was doing a lot more creative stuff in the playoffs and which led them to to the Super Bowl and then Andy Reid has been the best coach these past 4 years and because of you know because of what he does is our our friend Eric Eager you know has shared on Twitter before that when he does his offensive clustering algorithm Andy Reid is very unique the first like 2 3 weeks of the season then he becomes not that unique uh, throughout the rest of the regular season, and then turns it up for the playoffs, and and kind of uses a lot of the plays that he knows will work better. So you know it's, it's it's a lot of examples like that of you know coaches and schemes that have had a lot of success recently and have made the conference championships, where they're they're just making themselves more unique um, as the season goes on, and and really opening up either their offense or defense to to get to the conference championship and then the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, I love that. And uh, I have to shout, you know, you and our friend Ryan Wiseman out like one of my favorite articles ever was your guys's intro to defensive uniqueness on PFF's website. If you haven't read that already, it's probably like one of the best defensive pieces you could read from an analytical perspective. And then, you know, also what you talked about with Eric, you know, I, I love how Eric always brings up how like Andy calls the good plays in the playoffs. He lets Mahomes scramble in the playoffs. If you're a betting person, you always take Mahomes over rushing yards in the playoffs. Don't really touch them in the regular season unless it's a prime time game. So, um, you know, this this discussion has been great. Now we're going to head over to our interviews with PFS, Brad Spielberger and Amelia Prost. Now we're joined by PFS salary cap and contracts analyst Brad Spielberger. Brad has worked with us in the past and is currently working with me at PFF and has been a great mentor and friend to both of us when we were both with PFF for the last year. So Brad, how's the, has the weekend been treating you?
2: It's going well. It's going well. Played some golf yesterday. Like you guys said before the show, we got to appreciate this good weather when we get it. So uh, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. And you know, one of the things we like to do on, on this show is like share stories or experiences of, of the guests that come on. So You know, when I think what was really impactful for me is like when I first joined PFF last summer. uh, It was it was during COVID, so I was working remote and you know just just at home and 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 everything. And I I logged into my Slack and. I have a message from Brad Spielberger sitting there and, you know, you sent like some message, like welcoming you to PFF and saying, like, if I ever need anything to, to reach out to you and, you know, it just made me feel like really welcome to be there. And like, I I really appreciated you doing that. And, you know, it, it helped, like, I think develop kind of like our, our friendship throughout, uh, throughout my time there and everything.
2: Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. We had a, we had a fun ch- chat, the three of us talked mostly football and mostly work and then sometimes not work or football. <laughs> no. So yeah, for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah and you know my story is like when, before i joined pff i kind of had a good idea of like who you were and like what you did and i always used to read your articles about contract extensions and projecting contracts or predicting where top free agents were going to land and that was always you know probably one of my favorite things of having a pff subscription was being able to read your work even before i joined pff um so brad you know uh, my first question to you kind of relates to the rams a lot of shade has come pffs away especially on the, the analytics people for saying the Rams' trades and pickups weren't optimal team building strategies, whether it was trading for Matthew Stafford or trading for Von Miller, um, you know, but people like to judge the results rather than rather than the process, which in reality, like this process, doesn't always work out the way that teams wanted to. What did you make of how the 2021 Rams were constructed, and is it repeatable elsewhere?
2: It's funny you mentioned the shade because I haven't actually seen anything, and I literally wrote an article that was titled. Is trading first-round picks for star players a good idea? And the answer was no. Um, If you do look at the history of it, like the vast majority of those trades do not work out. Um, You know, I I think they've obviously, like you said, the process first results. You know, Ramsey worked out. Matthew Stafford so far has worked out. Um, I think the thing that people do overlook, though, is that they have a cohesive approach. Even this year, without making a pick in the top 100 picks they still made eight draft picks. They made at least eight draft picks in every year since Jared Goff's class, Goff's class, they traded up, a you know, their entire arsenal to go up and get him. So, but so that's you no know, 2017 to now they've made at least eight picks and it's how you get guys like Cooper cup in the third round. So, I think if you're going to just say, is the process just like, you know, being the Raiders, the Dolphins this offseason and and trading for, you know, a big name receiver with a lot of capital, you have to also do other things cohesively as well. So, you know, look, credit to them. They obviously, you know, went all in and and reached the pinnacle and getting Odell Beckham Jr. to kind of fall in their lap certainly helped as well. But I think that the key takeaway is that it's not just one thing um you know sports science all the various things they've done is how they were able to pull this off
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i'm i'm glad you mentioned that because yeah like it's it's not just the specific like trade array of the first round picks like they've had to hit on a lot of their day 3 picks and like what you mentioned with the sports science stuff that we kind of talked about with with Jordan Rodriguez last week is like they th- them being able to stay healthy and like especially their stars has been so important to, to their, them winning the Super Bowl last year, but, you know, it's a copycat league, so we saw teams trade first-round picks this year for, for other star players. Like, where do you see the next edge in team building that sharp teams are are going to start to, like, exploit?
2: Yeah, you know, I think, obviously, we talk a lot about, like, specific positions that maybe are undervalued. You know, tight end, I think we probably would all agree right now might be the, the, the poster child for that conversation. Um, and I think we talked in the past about, like, Back when the Patriots and Ravens were spending a ton on secondary and everyone else was kind of spending a ton on their front four and generating pass rush. And I think a thing I've noticed now, and I think the Patriots and the Eagles are the two teams that I've kind of realized in doing some research for this upcoming season is where do you go with the committee approach and where do you go with kind of a stars and scrubs type Rams approach? You look at the Eagles and the Patriots, they're like six or seven edge rushers deep of guys that, look, none of them are Miles Garrett. But they're all guys that if you play fewer snaps, you can generate a legitimate pass rush. These guys can win their one-on-one matchups. I mean, the Eagles bring in Hassan Reddick, still have Derek Barnett, who, yes, did not live up to the top, you know, 14th overall pick, but is a fine player. Brandon Graham's coming back from injury. They extended Josh Sweat. You now add in Jordan Davis to Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave like they have like eight to ten like very good defensive linemen and none of them are making top end money so I think the next edge is kind of exploring like how do you allocate your resources not purely just positional value but what type of player or what type of investment you make on that unit itself
1: yeah I love that and you know I'm, I'm higher on the Eagles uh there's a reason their win total moved up from like eight and a half to nine up to nine and a half. And, you know, why making the playoffs for them is actually like minus or it's not plus money anymore. So I love that point. Um, You know, you recently wrote an article for PFF, which if you have, if the listeners haven't read it already, just search up PFF salary cap health um, and, and make sure to go check that out. But you know, that article was kind of just highlighting like how healthy every team's salary cap is. You know, we, we just finished our discussion talking about conference championship teams and how the the Chiefs' roster building strategy wasn't didn't really do a great job of helping Patrick Mahomes um, you know, get to more Super Bowls. You know, they paid Frank Clark $20 million. And as our friend Eric Eager likes to put it, they paid him 20 million to get one pressure in the conference championship game. But, you know, the the Tyreek Hill trade was definitely under a lot of scrutiny. I I personally like it for them, for their long-term outlook. Had they not traded Tyreek Hill, do you think they would come in higher or lower than 11th in your uh, salary cap health rankings
2: yes yeah, so, so way lower because he would have been a pending free agent so in that 2023 unrestricted free agent category which basically just looks at you know what is it going to cost to retain the players that they have that are due for new deals for them obviously Orlando Brown is kind of the big name on their list it's still kind of a they're, they're still ranked pretty poorly in that category but Hill would have made them maybe come in dead last in that category um, and then obviously you know you free up a bunch of room by moving on from him so Look, it's a tough move. He is a, you know, a a force multiplier on that offense because every single defense needs to account for him on every single snap. But it is a move that trades in a five-year dynasty for the potential of a 10-year dynasty. That is what you're doing. That is what New England did for the longest time. It's why they stayed relevant. They're not relevant. Why They stayed dominant for so long. Um, So, yeah, I I was in favor of it. He he was going to ask for that monster new deal that he did deserve. Um, but I think they are making a smart move to try to prolong this situation. And then real quick, you just you mentioned, they didn't do a good job of helping him. They really didn't. After his draft class from 2018 to 20, they kind of struck out. Like they did not really do well. But these last two classes, I think they've done a better job. And sometimes like that alone, adding four or five, like, you know, rookie contract players can get you right back in the mix.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you you kind of touched on like New England um, and some of the stuff that they did to to be dominant for so long. And, you know, I I think like out of everyone I know, like no one has more respect for Bill Belichick than you do. Uh, can you can you go into some more detail about like how he's managed the salary cap and the draft and everything he's done for the Patriots dynasty to be so successful?
2: Yeah, I, I think I am probably the biggest fanboy. I mean, I <laughs> genuinely think to a degree, like, I mean, I had this job because of them because they just. They fascinated me like as a kid, just real like in a sport where you're not supposed to be able to sustain dynasties. And like, look, in, in basketball, they want you to in basketball. They have the bird rule and they have specific rules to make it because that's the, that's the goal of them is to have the same teams be good and be relevant. The NFL with the salary cap, they do not want that. And so I was like, how is this team still so good? So not only is it making the tough decisions of letting guys go. You know, Chandler Jones, uh, Richard Seymour, you go down the list of the, all the incredible players they just let walk. Nate Solder, we could, I could spend a whole podcast just saying names of good players they let go. But I say this quote a lot. I think it's kind of funny that actually our Doug Kide uh, was the one who asked the question of, of Bill Belichick that got the response. But he used to run a 3-4 back in like the early, like mid-2000s, probably 2008, when Doug asked this question. And they switched to a 4-3. And Doug he says, why did you make the switch? And he goes, well, when I started running the three, four, it was us, the Steelers. And I think the Raiders, like there was three, he goes, there were three teams in the entire NFL that ran the three, four. So he goes, when we were trying to find nose tackles in the draft and outside linebackers in the draft, there were plenty available. They would fall to us. It was easy to get those players that, you know, at surplus value, whatever he goes, now there's 20 teams that run a three, four. So there's no nose tackles or, you know, there's no outside linebackers. And so, I think with the genius of him is that he's so simple. And I know he's made comments like he's not a huge analytics believer. Whether Whatever he wants to categorize what he's doing, he's an analytics champion. He's been doing stuff like that forever. He just doesn't put it in that bucket, which, frankly, I think we all kind of put too many things in that bucket. But I just think, end of the day, long answer short, What the New England Patriots understand is that going into a season, you're not trying to beat – the 2022 Patriots are not trying to beat the 2021 Patriots. They're trying to beat 31 other teams and and, and react and act off of them. And I think you see some GMs that are just like, how can I plug my holes? How can I get better at all of our weaknesses from last year? Which, yeah, obviously to a degree you want to do. But at the end of the day, you want to just – Beat everyone else and find edges and be sharp. And I think they just always understood that really well.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that was that was
0: awesome. That's <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, that, was, that was so cool. Like like getting that that type of insight. Like, what do you what are you kind of seeing for the the season outlook of the of the Patriots this
2: year? Yeah, they're an interesting team. I think the secondary is really interesting. I mean, we talked about how they used to invest there. Their corners, they probably it's probably the worst cornerback room they've had. I don't know, ten plus years at this point. Um, You know, J.C. Jackson walking in free agency to the Chargers obviously gets a big deal, and it never seemed like they were going to give him that big, you know, the big extension he was looking for. Their safeties are great, and they, you know, continue to, again, they basically, they don't play linebackers. Jabril Peppers will probably be their linebacker to a degree once he gets healthy. Um, It's going to be interesting. I I think, you know, they have a lot of weapons, so again, they're kind of throwing bodies at wide receiver, bringing Devontae Parker. I wouldn't say I love that trade, but Add in Tyquan Thornton, also probably didn't love that trade-up for him. But nevertheless, like, there's six or seven players deep at receiver. They obviously have the two tight ends. The offensive line, again, they kind of lost some guys this year, but they seem to always be able to, you know, kind of build guys up, get Michigan men like Michael Anwenu and just kind of figure things out. Um, It's a tough AFC, though, and it's a tough AFC East. But I I think a wild card is probably in the cards again.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great analysis. And again, I, I am curious to see how Belichick changes the way he plays with the secondary. And that's something we talked about with Steven Ruiz in our first pod is just like, they're probably going to switch to more zone just because their corners aren't good enough to hold up in man. So, you know, Brad, this has been great. You know, one fun cru- question to wrap it up. Um, you and me are, are both big wise guy film fans. Um, and so if you had to pick one stud in their prime from those movies to play your character in a documentary film on yourself who would you want it to be
2: wow I mean uh, it's gonna be Ray Liotta all rest in peace obviously he <laughs> passed away recently but yeah. you know I mean Goodfellas is my number one but he also just pops up in all those movies and I just think he had a way of carrying himself that I just always thought he was the coolest dude ever so you know you could pick any of those dudes but I'll definitely go with Ray Liotta
0: <laughs> oh yeah that's great Brad you know this was this was awesome you know I'd I used to root against the, the Patriots, um, you know, because of the dynasty and, and I wanted more teams to win. But now that I know that they're the reason why you're doing all this stuff, I'm, I'm more appreciative of them being so good because, you know, you've, you put out so much good, good content and good analysis and, and have been, been, you know, someone who I've learned so much from um, when, when I was at, at PFF and everything. So yeah, for, for everyone listening, you know, be sure to check out Brad Spielberger's work uh, at, at PFF.com follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad and, you know, look, look for his his contributions at over the cap and and check out his, his book and everything. Brad, if if you
2: want to say anything else, uh, feel free. Y'all are far too kind. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been cool. I caught the first episode. I got to catch up, but it was super cool to see you guys, uh, you know, bring out the podcast. So best of luck. Um, you know, thank you guys for having me.
0: We are now joined by recent graduate of Cornell University and Junior data scientist at PFF, Amelia Probst. super excited to have her on today. Amelia, how have things been for you?
3: It's been great. yeah,'m I'm, I'm loving working at PFF so far, and thank you for for having me on here today.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, glad to hear that that you've been enjoying. Um, you know, we, we like to share like where where uh, we got introduced to to the guests' work and, and some experience with that. So you know, I found your your Twitter account um, about a year ago. Probably when when you announced you were working for the Premier Lacrosse League last summer and and doing analytics for them and you know I didn't even know what the Premier Lacrosse League was at the time um, but you know I I followed just to just to see some some analytics and you know you you kept putting out like really cool graphs and analysis about lacrosse and you know I, I learned a lot more about the league and everything and I you know I thought it was I thought it was really, very well put together last summer um, you know I was I was just kind of wondering like. Can you, can you take everyone listening like through the journey of how you got into sports, how you got into analytics, and then like eventually into your current role at, at PFF?
3: Yeah, yeah. And thank you for, for your compliments. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, like like Tej said, I graduated from Cornell University, but originally I was in engineering at Cornell, and um, I love like, the math portion of it, but not the physics part. So that's what led me to statistics. So I, I switched to statistics my sophomore year. Um, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with it, but um, I thought I might as well pursue it and go from there. And I always loved sports as well. I grew up watching sports, playing sports. Um, I played field hockey in high school, um, volleyball, golf. Like I played a lot, of, a lot of sports. So I thought it'd be really cool if I could combine like my major in sports. Um, so from there, I wanted to get like some more real world experience in sports analytics. So for the past like two and a half years, I worked with Cornell's men's lacrosse team doing some analytics for them. Um, and I've met people like Tej and Arjun, who have like supported my, my sports analytics career and endeavors and um, other people that also work in the sports analytics in- industry and like gave me advice and insights into like what they do day to day and seeing if that's something I would really enjoy. Um, and like Tej said as well, like I, I posted things on social media and that's kind of what got me um, some exposure um, to people that also work in the sports industry. And so that's um, kind of what got, my, got me my internship at the Premier Lacrosse League last summer and some other opportunities from there. Um, so, yeah, I worked at AMB Sports and Entertainment, which is um, the parent company of the Falcons. I worked at the Mets um, in my last semester at Cornell. Um, And I also did some work for the the Indianapolis Colts in the last season, just generating some um, basic reports for them. And so, yeah, I feel like I've done a pretty wide multitude of things in sports analytics. But um, yeah, so all these things kind of led to me um, applying to uh, this role at PFF and and getting the job. And so, um, yeah, it's been it's been a a long journey, but definitely worth it. And I've learned a lot along the way. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so similar to Tage, to I kind of found you through Twitter, um, just like, I think it was you who followed me and then I followed you back um, early. It was like really early on, actually, when I was like posting stuff about football and like analytics. So, you know, being one of my first followers, you know, it always means a lot because I, I had it like my following was like nothing before, you know, I joined Michigan. So, um, you know, and one of my favorite things that I saw from your Twitter account was like when you first posted like um that you were joining the Mets. Like, I think that tweet blew up for you. I think, you know, I'm looking at it now. He has about like 6k likes, Uh, you know, that, that tweet really like got spread throughout social media. So, you know, that I, you kind of love to see that kind of thing. You know, I'm always a big diversity in sports guy, um, especially, you know, since all three of us are, you know, kind of in that, in that realm. So uh, switching to more of a, a football you know perspective on things. Can you can you walk us through the emotions you were feeling throughout the Chiefs Bills game in the playoffs which you know kind of was the, a Super Bowl in itself since you're kind of a Bills fan?
3: Yeah. So actually I was still at school at the time and um, my apartment had no Wi-Fi. So I was running off of like my phone's hotspot, which is terrible. And so I was like going back and forth between like streams and like on my laptop. And it was just like, I was stressed about that beyond the game because I wanted to make sure I knew what was going on. And um my dad's son of the family, which is from Buffalo. Um, we have a, a family group chat. So that was blowing up. So it's just a lot of things going on at the time. But um, actually going, going to the game, um, I mean, I was feeling pretty confident up until the end. Like I was confident in Josh Allen and everybody else on the team to like, you know, hopefully pull out a W even though it's not <laughs> what ended up happening. But I don't know. It was still a fun game to watch. Like I enjoy watching like a competitive game, not just like a blowout. So even though like I wanted us to win, I still wanted to be like competitive and fun to watch. So I thought of it like the back and forth scoring was probably like the best part, Um, but obviously like the ending was not the best, but it was still exciting nonetheless. And I think um, it was a good, it was a good lesson for the Bills for sure. Um, And like unsurprisingly, like it was Mahomes' best like offensive grade according to PFF, like uh, in the season, the regular season at least. and it was Spencer Brown's like worst graded game. So um, I don't know. it was it was tough to watch for sure. but, um, I think in the end, it's a, a way for them to grow. And hopefully this season they <laughs> will not have um another loss in a road playoff game if that ends up happening
0: mm-hmm. yeah. you know, yeah. Let's, let's like, let's talk about this season because, like, you know, you showed me like some of your your chats with with you and your family before, like, with, with, uh, with rooting for the bills and, and, you know, your family's like hilarious when it comes to that type of stuff. Like how excited are you guys for the bills being like Super Bowl favorites this season and everything?
3: Yeah, we're excited. Um, I think we're actually planning on going to a game. Like my whole dad's side of it has been going. So that'd be really fun. Hopefully a home game. Um, I think we're feeling confident about them, but you know, not overconfident, I would say, just because the like betting odds favor the bills doesn't mean that's how it's necessarily going to work out. And especially, given the Bills' history before Josh Allen, I wouldn't say it would be totally unsurprising um, for it not to work out in their favor. But, um, yeah, yeah, we're excited.
0: Do you think there's, like, a flaw that really could 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 bring them down this year? Like, do you see anything in their team that worries you?
3: Yeah, my main concern, I would say, is their run defense because uh, in, like, week 11 against the, the Colts last season, they were definitely exposed, um, especially against, like, a pass rusher, like – or not pass rusher uh, – a runner like, like Jonathan Taylor, like it's so hard to stop um, for any team, but regardless, like that was a terrible game for the bills and not one that they should have lost. So, um, and against the Jaguars too, I think like two weeks before um, they also struggled, struggled against their run. So um, I think that's my main concern um, for the bills this season. Hopefully they've improved upon that. And I think especially with injuries, like with Davis, White and some other people, like, Um, I'm hoping that won't affect them too badly in the regular season. I'm hoping that they come back strong and, you know, don't have to worry about that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. You know, earlier in our episode, we, we had a discussion about like lessons that we learned from the conference championship and like, one of the things is in the playoffs, like stopping the run isn't as important as stopping the pass. But but like you said, I think in the regular season, being able to stop the run is kind of an important thing when it comes to stacking up wins. And, you know, you do want to try and secure the one seed in a seven seed playoff. So I, I agree with your point that, you know, the Bills and stopping the run could be their their big flaw. But I, I hope Von Miller kind of like evens that out for them. Yeah. Um, You know, what other team from the AFC worries you the most as a Bills fan or or what team do you think matches up well with the Bills and could present problems when it comes to the AFC playoffs?
3: Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of mentioned this previously, but I think just given that their worst game was against the Colts, um, I worry about them um, because I know what they're capable of when they're like strong. And um, and Jonathan Taylor, just a beast. So I think he's hard to stop. Uh, regardless of like injuries and everything like that but if that ends up being the case then they're going to be really hard to stop plus like their offensive line is pretty decent i would say um like they drafted a new tackle this year so um that their offensive line will probably be improved upon from last year um so being able to stop them offensively might be kind of difficult plus their their defense um like with Buckner and Leonard and Pay like i think all those especially pay i think he's probably do for, for a good season this year, given his, like, his trend, um, so I think just the, the three of them are also, like, just really good defensive players that are, are hard to stop, and will get past you, like, in, a, in an instant.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. I know Arjun might have wanted the Chargers there to, to be, the answer, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the Colts are, the Colts are uh, a really good, really good option there, for sure. Um, Yeah, no, so I just, I just want to, want to, like, overarching, like, kind of as you you work in sports and you've had so much experience that you mentioned, like, what are some things that you've picked up from working for like the Premier Lacrosse League or the Mets that you think can like be applied to football or something that we're missing that's happening in in those sports?
3: Yeah, that's your question. I think. What I've what I've gained is just being able to see different perspectives and not just kind of being on a, a one track mind or not being stuck in one part of the game, um, and I've, I've seen the importance of analytics in all sports because especially with lacrosse like it's pretty new still, so I like I know what it takes to you know track games by hand and like kind of how football got to where it is now, so I really like appreciate that, um, and I think like what you said applying other metrics other things. From like baseball or lacrosse to football, so like maybe there's a version of like war that we we can have in um, in football, or like I know we already have like in a, a like EPA, but maybe something different, um, like how they have expected goals, like in soccer, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really the end goal of sports analytics is to engage the consumer and like you know just go more in depth and like determine how one player affects a play or a drive or um, like what is the effect of a specific movement by like an offensive lineman and how does that affect the play? So I think just getting more granular and getting more into like the details on specific plays or specific drives is really like where um, football analytics in, in particular is going. Um, I guess on top of that is like sports science. I know like PFF and um, like PFF doesn't really get into that, but I know other teams do like NFL teams. And when I worked with the Mets, like they definitely um, look at the sports science aspect. And so I think that might be something interesting for for fans to know too. Um, like obviously you can't talk about injuries and things like that, but like how does players' movement, like one thing I think about is like offensive lines, linemen, like with their their hand movement, like how how does that affect like their body and um you know, how do those things play into um like a game or a drive or, or that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, the sports science aspect of things is definitely something we've mentioned on the pod numerous times. And I think that is like the next frontier to teams, like catching up with the Rams in terms of like keeping their star players or even depth players healthy. So, Amelia, you know, this has been a pleasure. Um, we like to always end off our interviews with a fun question. So, have you or would you ever consider taking part in a Bills Mafia pre or post game celebration where, you know, kind of like doing the smashing tables thing or jumping on them even if it's like on fire?
3: <laughs> I don't know if I would jump on tables on fire, but I definitely would participate. I definitely would, especially like with my friends and family around, like, you know, it's Bills Mafia, we get a little rowdy, so like I could I couldn't say no in that instance. I would have to
0: if if you if you see a team like your favorite team like win a championship I feel like like everything is just like on the table there like yeah, you can exactly. you can do whatever you want like there's there's no controlling like I this is so dumb but like <laughs> me and my friends have had like conversations before about like what we'd want to do the night if like the Lions were ever playing in the Super Bowl like we'd be like oh like should we get like a hotel room in Detroit and watch there so that in case they win like we can go out afterwards and that's like so hypothetical and they're so far away from ever making a Super Bowl but like it's just something like you think about right is like yeah. oh like what would what would I do like Arjun have you thought about like what you would do or where do you want to be like if the Chargers were playing in the Super Bowl
1: I just enjoy it on like I I, I like to watch like big time games, kind of like either with one person, like with you, like mm-hmm. a person I like I trust or I can just like talk about football with or alone. Like, honestly, like I, I like to just shut myself off sometimes from and, and just like focus on the game itself. So um, I I'd probably just enjoy it. Just like be on Twitter, just, you know, kind of tweeting through it. And, um, you know, one of our, one of our friends, Sosa Kremen, just, right? like the the tweeting he was doing after the Super after after his Rams won the Super Bowl. That's kind of how I'd be. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of be my response to that. Oh yeah. So this is, uh, it's been great. You know, if, if you guys are listening to this and want to follow Amelia, make sure to go check out her Twitter at Amelia probes. Uh, she's about 24 followers away from the, from the big three K. So let's make sure to get her to that three K. Um, again, she's, she's working at PFF, um, on the consumer side. So Make sure to go give her a follow, great follow for all football and lacrosse analytics things included. So, Amelia, thanks for coming on. Any, any final words or, or things you want to promote?
3: Thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. Uh, I guess my last word would be, go Bills.
0: <laughs> we really appreciate Brad Spielberger and Amelia Prost for taking the time to come on. Very enjoyable conversations. Um, you make sure to to check out their their Twitter accounts and and their work at PFF and everything. Uh, we'll we'll now jump to our bet and unhinged tweet of the week. Just a reminder: signing up on Bet US and using the promo code TAGE will get you a one hundred twenty five percent sign up bonus, doubling your initial deposit and more. So make sure to use the promo code TEJ when you go on their website. All right, Arjun, uh, what bet do you have for us today?
1: Okay, so guys, we are going to be riding with the New Orleans Saints for this bet of the week. So interestingly enough, I have kind of like three bets I actually really like for the Saints, but my official bet that like, you know, we'll track is the New Orleans Saints division wins over three. So this is a Caesars specific um, bet. Uh, You can find it on DraftKings, but it's like three and a half at like plus 110, I think at caesars it's over three at plus 100 okay so you know if you don't have caesars you know you can bet on DraftKings. i'm not like too i'm not too keen on the plus three and a half because you're not getting the push if if it lands on three but you know i still would feel comfortable putting like half a unit on it but i love this bet for the saints because i'm kind of like i'm not saying i'm all in on the saints but i actually think they have a pretty solid roster Mm -hmm. um one of the things I love that they did this offseason, and we touched, about, touched on this earlier in the episode, is that they surrounded Michael Thomas with secondary receivers. Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas will kind of be the underneath guys. Chris Olave is probably the deep threat guy on this offense. And they still have guys like Marquez Calloway and Trey Juan Smith. Like They have like five quality receivers I'd be like, okay, they can catch the ball and, and make something happen after the catch. The reason I love the over three divisional wins as opposed to like over eight regular season wins is this nfc south division is terrible like it really is just awful the falcons might be the worst team in the nfl next year their win total is like at like five and then you have the panthers who i really don't know what they're doing in carolina right like they're either going to be starting sam darnold or matt corral so that's like i'm not saying those are four free wins right there but i'm expecting the saints to at least win three out of those four right and then now, since the line is only at three at Caesars, you look at this division and and the Saints have beaten the Bucs like pretty, you know, um, they've beaten them pretty convincingly the past couple of years. So say they drop one against the Panthers or they have a fluke game against the Falcons. Well, they've taken care of business against the Bucs. And let's be honest, the Bucs did not get better this offseason. They lost both their starting guards. I know they replaced Ali Marpet with Shaq Mason, which is kind of a lateral move, but they don't really have a, You know, a great replacement for an Alex Kappa. They lost two of their uh, three best receivers to injury and, you know, AB. I don't know what what the hell he's doing outside of football. Um, And then their defense, right? Like they're going to get worse along the defensive line, losing JPP to free agency and everyone else is getting old on that defense. Um, So I really like the Saints over three wins in the division at like a unit because it's like plus 100. So bet 100 to win 100. And then, you know, if you have plus three and a half, that's also a decent bet. I wouldn't feel as confident about it. But also, like I talked about how I like the Saints in like all three facets, like you could bet over eight wins. It's kind of juicy. It's like minus 140, minus like 125 on some books. Um, And then you could do a little sprinkle on Saints to win the NFC South, because I do think that's in the range of outcomes.
0: Mm hmm. I love this. Uh, you know, this is why this is why people, you know, should take your betting advice, because this is a niche bet that I don't think a lot of people will find. You know, like, division wins is something that I've, I've never heard of being bet before, but it's a it's a really sound process. And, um, you know, it, I, 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 I'm, I'm right there with you with with basically every point you said uh, three wins over the Panthers and Falcons combined, I think, is their most likely outcome. Like, I think they'll probably drop one in there. So, so the go three there. So if you're, if you're betting that on Caesars, you're already pushing on the bet, And then you really just need uh, the saints to, to shut down the bucks again. And Dennis Allen has owned the Tom Brady Buccaneers, like played them five times, shut them down four of the five times. And then, you know, the one playoff game was a little fluky with the saints fumbling twice in the fourth quarter. But, you know, it's, it, it's just like a. I I think, I think this is, this is going to work out very nicely. And like, I'm pretty high on the saints as well. Next year, I think, you know, losing Sean Payton is big, but getting a healthy Jameis Winston for a full season is going to be really good. You know, like people will always talk about Jameis Winston's interceptions, but he's a very efficient quarterback, even including the interceptions. You know, he's he's always ranked either uh, average or above average in EPA per play. Like he'll, he'll move the ball on your offense. And I think that we're going to see Jameis in like a, Ryan Tannehill role this season where his usage isn't going to be really high, but he's going to be doing, you know, they, they're they going to have a good run game. They have a good offensive line. Uh, and, and Kamara is, is going to eat, you know, when he comes back from his, his, um, uh, deer rise suspension right now. And then like, you know, I think, I think like the, the offense will be pretty good. And then that defense is just very sound all across the board has pieces everywhere. Yeah. And I, I think like, you know, getting Marcus may in there, um, to add to to a really good secondary is going to be very beneficial for for the Saints this year. So the the division bet is is really really good. Um, and then you know I I I also would take their over eight and a half too if if I had to pick there.
1: Yeah, and you know my my favorite thing about the Saints like is how they've upgraded their secondary. Right, the thing with like Marshawn Lattimore is like he's in a, he I think can be put in the elite tier of corners. His the problem with him is like he's just so he just invites variants like he is one of the the biggest like cover just so unstable year to year because like one year he'll be an all pro the next year he'll be a bum or not a bum he'll just be like below average and he just flip-flops so last year i think he was pretty good so maybe he has a down year this year but you know they they signed marcus may tyron matthew which i really Mm like their defensive line is always among the best in the league at stopping the run and getting after the passer and then my my favorite linebacker in the league demario davis is is a beast and um, they get, they just gave him like a one year extension slash raise, slash raise. So I'm expecting, you know, big things from this defense as long as they can keep their star players healthy. And then I'm kind of just betting that Jameis is at least like a above average quarterback and that's all he needs to be on the deal. He just got signed to. So, um, Tage, now, you know, it's your turn for the unhinged tweet of the week. What do you got for us?
0: <laughs> okay. So I actually have a series of tweets, um, for, for this week. So, for those who, who haven't been following, um, which, I mean, I'm sure most people have heard the story. Arch Manning, uh, nephew of, of Peyton and Eli Manning, uh, and and five-star quarterback recruit has committed to Texas. And so he announced his commitment on Twitter, um, you know, with a picture of him and like a Texas logo and everything. And the replies under this tweet are just so unhinged. It's crazy. Like, okay, I, I wrote a couple of them down because the, I like I can't believe like people are are sending these things to a a 17 year old kid. So one person said, this is an awful choice. I bet we see a decommit when they cycle through the staff next year. Hashtag boomer sooner. Another person, Texas is the worst place to go for a quarterback. Exclamation point. I'm so sorry. Exclamation point. Um, And then condolences four plus year four plus losses a year coming up guaranteed. So like, you know, I'm sure like this was a a big moment for Arch Manning to to announce his commitment to Texas and people are just going crazy in the replies. Like, don't do that. You know, never, never tweet at a recruit. Like it's, it's the worst thing that you can do is, as our friend Connor always says. So I don't, I don't know why, why people felt like they had to do that there, but.
1: Yeah. Like he's a high school kid. Like you gotta, (laughs) like, you gotta have some like sincere hatred for a school or being a rival of that school to like talk shit on a on a high school recruit like and not only he's not any high school recruit he's like this he's the nephew of Peyton Eli Manning so he's gonna have all this other scrutiny upon him like just let him live his life you know you just gotta you gotta let him try to be a normal kid even though that's probably the fur- furthest thing he's he's gone through as a high school kid you know with his pedigree or his name the name he has but but yeah that that's a that was a very good series of tweets and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up
0: and yeah and like like if okay so like i'm not saying he's he's gonna transfer or anything but like for for any recruit like like people remember this type of stuff like if if you're a recruit and you're like four or five star and you go somewhere and there's a lot of hate comments and the replies from a specific school and you end up having to transfer like i'm i if i was in that situation like i wouldn't want to consider the school that hated on me so much for picking another school like when when i'm transferring so like you know if you're if you're an oklahoma fan and you said something to Arch Manning, and like I'm sure he wouldn't transfer Texas to Oklahoma, but you know you just you just want to like make sure you're not you're not burning bridges with these type of people. But yeah, the overall lesson is just to like yeah let him be like you said, you know let him enjoy like what was probably like you know one of the biggest days of his life to to announce that and and make that decision. Um, and I I hope he does well at Texas uh, just just you know for the sake of of making. Um, you know, the sport fun and, and the story and everything, but also because like it would, it would be cool if, if uh, he, he shut up the haters there because, you know, I, I think, I think he has it in him to do that.
1: Yeah, I agree. So um, I think that's going to wrap it up for today's episode, you know, really fun discussion early on. And we, we really want to thank Brad Spielberger and Amelia Probst for joining us. Um, And, you know, hopefully you guys will tail my bet of the Saints over three division wins up to three and a half is fine. Um, But but again, that's going to wrap it up. And until next time on Take the Points.